Welcome to Access. I hope you've had a great week. We've had a great week at the church here. Some been some really good stuff happen. Although, um, what's going on with this state of origin business? I mean, <clears throat> as a new Queenslander, I've been kind of told to get on board and wearing the maroon pants and everything. And yet, you know, this is what, what's going on. I tune in and, you know, what is it, 50 to 4 or something? It's like, wow. So that's, tell me, help me understand this. Is There's more to come and we can still come back, right? <laughs> we can't. We believe in the resurrection, but we don't, it doesn't apply to football. Well, that was a disappointing experience for me anyway. Probably the first time I actually really tuned in seriously and I was like, well, if this is what it's like, I'll go back to AFL. <laughs> <laughs> So some great things happened uh, around Axis this week, and um, uh, what have I got here? Georgia's first day was Friday, which was wonderful. So she's now on staff and in the office each Friday with our team and uh, part of the kids' ministry team. And we got to go to the Hills Wesleyan Church nearby, which was really cool to network with them for the day and spend time with their team and just glean from their wisdom and how they do things. That was a really wonderful day together. So that was really cool. Uh, today there was coffee training going on. I believe a number of people got involved in that uh, as volunteers in the new cafe, which was really cool. And the youth leaders went off to Gympie today to prepare for the youth camp that's coming up in a couple of weeks, the uh, great thriving metropolis of Gympie. And uh, they went down there and back, so uh, so they've had a big day as well. Well done, guys, to all that did that. Some other good news this week is... Um, we have a program called Food for Kids that we support here at Axis and it gets food into, I think it was eight local primary schools before this week, uh, primary and high actually, so eight schools in the local district that we do breakfast programs in and it, it goes through the funnel of the chaplains, the local chaplains actually distribute the food. But uh, great news this week, we got a breakthrough and got into North Lakes College. So that was wonderful because uh, that's two schools rolled into one there and we've been trying for ages, well before my time, I've only been here around a year, but well before my time we've been trying to get into that school and it's always been a closed door uh, up until now. So praise God for that. A few other coming events up on the screen you'll be able to see now. I'm supposed to talk about giving so I always forget that. What a terrible pastor. I am. So if you'd like, if we go back to that slide, if you'd like to support Axis, here's the three ways you can do it. There's um, cash boxes around the building, one, two and three over near the servery. Uh, through our website or through the cafe, you can do direct debit as well. And some coming events uh, that are coming up in the life of our church, which I'll just get glean over. Uh, you can find more details on our website for all these things or register for different events. Um, probably the uh, thing to take note of there, which is probably a bit uh, new to most of you, is this Sunbeams audition. So we're looking at starting a children's musical theatre through our church here. So if that applies to you or you have young ones that might be interested in that, that audition is coming up soon for that. And we're also having a church picnic next month. Wow, Isaac's excited. Um, <laughs> And uh, so that's really cool. So we just feel like, um, you know, with the COVID period we've been through and the sense of separation that's been there in the church family and isolation in some cases, it's really good to just get together and have some fun. So planning on doing that in a nearby park uh, next month and then in an ongoing way just to help people get to know each other better. So really looking forward to that. 
Over the last six weeks, we've been in a series called DNA, and we've been looking at the church's core beliefs. And we've actually gone through all six now, but I'm going to circle back this weekend to where we began because there are a few further thoughts to add to some of these themes, and in particular, the Bible. So we said in week one, the Bible matters. Scripture is our highest authority as a church, and I 110% agree with that. However, often we struggle with how to apply scripture and so this weekend our theme is help me understand the bible now i'll just let you in on a fear i have this evening i'm i'm terribly afraid you're going to fall asleep halfway through because this is going to be a little bit more theory than normal so i might give you a couple of claps now and again and make sure you're awake but you need to you need to think a little more perhaps than usual and engage but i think there's going to be some really good things for you to do uh, to, to gain from tonight if you do able to do that so core insight um, for us to consider when it talks when we think about it, applying the Bible is this um, scripture in 2 Timothy 2 where older guy Paul is writing to young guy Timothy. We believe it's Paul's final letter uh, before he passed. And he's, and he's trying to set up Timothy in his new leadership journey as a youngster. And he writes this in 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles the word of truth. So notice what this endeavour of getting the Bible right warrants. Our best. That's what it says. Do your best. The implication is clear here that those who handle Scripture well work to get to that place. You see what they're called? Workers. You know what this means? You have to work at it. If you want to apply the Bible well into your life. And even with me in this weekend, this message, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to stay with me mentally and engage in order to get through with these points that we have before us. You might have seen people handle the Bible poorly. It's possible to incorrectly handle it, right? If God's saying, make sure you handle it correctly it must be possible to handle it incorrectly and poor reading of scripture will result in poor application of scripture which will result in profound disillusionment you might have been there you might have seen some other people be there where they kind of in church language took God at his word and grabbed a hold of the bible and did abc and thought that the outcome would be xyz but didn't quite turn out the way they thought it would, and it led to profound disillusionment. And sometimes we have to come back and ask the question, did we actually get it right in the first time? Was our application of Scripture right? Sure, God keeps his word, but sometimes our handling of it leaves a lot to be desire. So this weekend we're going to go on a journey and draft a few key ideas about how to handle the Bible better. Now we won't be able to cover all territory when it comes to this topic because it's a massive one. So there'll be just some sweeping principles here. A few considerations when it comes to interpreting the Bible. When you sit on your own at home and read it to try and make sense of it, here's a few guardrails for you to think about. Context is always a trustworthy friend. Context is your friend. It's possible to pick a verse out of this book and do anything with it. People do. People do all sorts of magic with one verse ripped out of context and make it say a certain thing. And it's a terrible sight when that happens. In theological circles, this is called proof texting. 
In other words, I've got an idea and I need to find a verse to back it up. That's actually putting the cart before the horse. That's not the way we're supposed to handle the Bible. We'll let the Bible interpret itself and we actually follow it around rather than the other way around. Now, this happens in Christian circles in subtle ways. Happens often through our devotional books, actually, where some of these devotional books that have actually become popular out there have like 10 words of scripture at the top and then a thousand words of someone's opinion. Stop and think about that ratio. Is that the right ratio? Shouldn't we be reading a thousand words of scripture and then maybe a sentence of what somebody thinks about it? Here's what I'm challenging you to do when you have a devotional book like that. Read the whole chapter around it. Don't let the devotional book dictate how much of the Bible you read. They might only have eight words at the top of their page. But break open your Bible and read the whole chapter. Understand the context of what's going on. You know what's going to happen as you begin to um, get, move into this discipline, should you do that? I hate to say it like this, but I'm just going to warn you. I'm going to be straight, right? The Bible's going to feel less exciting, at least for a time. If you start reading the Bible in context, instead of ripping out a verse here and there, for the short term, the Bible will feel less exciting, let me tell you why. Because you've only been eating dessert up until now. If you're just going with the highlights reel, picking a verse out that you saw on a bookmark, or just reading the 10, verse, the 10 words rather at the top of the devotional page, you're just eating dessert. You're cherry picking. You're not really going deep. You're not eating vegetables. You're not eating any sustenance. You haven't got a well-rounded diet. So in the short term, as you move into this discipline, the Bible might feel less exciting. But guess what? In six months' time, you'll look back and go, wow, that was great that I've done it that way. I now have so much of a better understanding of a holistic view of Scripture. That's one guardrail. Another one, realise that some things remain a mystery. People call the Bible life's answer book. Is it? Well, maybe in some simplistic way, yes. But sorry if this is disappointing news, but the Bible doesn't actually contain all of the answers to life. It just doesn't. Some things remain a mystery. And if you're going to the Bible to solve all of your questions that you've got about life, your Bible engagement is going to be a disappointing one. There's many questions an honest person has the Bible doesn't answer. I've read the Bible from cover to cover for years now, consistently, and I've still got some questions that the Bible doesn't directly answer. If you're raised around church, that might be a little difficult to hear. You think, well, is that really right? Well, let's do a quiz. Let's pick a few life questions and see what the Bible says about them. Family, property, career. Does they sound like some key life issues? I would have thought so. So let's supply some questions to the Bible. Here goes. Siri, I mean Bible. <laughs> I'm uh, about to finish school and I'm just wondering whether I should be become an accountant or a physio. Because both of those options. Is that a life question for someone that's about to leave school? You bet it is. Sure it is. Does the Bible give a clear answer on that? Crickets. 
we get nothing. We get nothing in Scripture about an issue like that. And that's a life issue, I would have thought, for someone who's 18. What about somebody else that's just married and thinking about buying a property or renting a property? Okay, Siri, I mean Bible, what have you got to say about this? Should we buy a property or rent a property? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing in here about that. What about the couple who are trying to work out how many kids are right for them? Does the Bible speak to that? No. What about the person who's wondering, should they retire this year or keep working a little longer? I mean, there's broad principles, but the Bible doesn't answer our questions when it comes to things such as these. So be careful of calling the Bible an answer book, if that's what we mean by it. Here's a broad principle I operate under. If the Bible's quiet about something, I'm quiet about it. If the Bible's loud about something, I'll be loud about it. But there's many things the Bible's quiet about. And some mystery remains, and we just need to learn to be okay with that. Another guardrail, move beyond the surface to bigger questions. Questions like this, not just what does the Bible say, but what does the weight of Scripture say about this particular matter? Not only what does the Bible say, because as we said a moment ago, you can pick a verse and make it say anything, but what does the weight of Scripture say about this? We need to get beyond the, seeing the Bible as a checklist of do's and don'ts, of commands of I can do this or I can't do that. That's just surface stuff. So when I'm coming to the Bible, I'm not just saying, is it okay if I cheat on my taxes? Oh no, God said do not steal. Right? That, that's elementary stuff, yeah, but I want to go deep. I want to ask bigger questions. I wonder why God has a problem with stealing. What does this tell me about the character of God? That's, that's getting into the Bible in a far deeper way, which is where we want to go. We want to ask the bigger relational questions. Who's ready to take on the 1,200 pages now? Everything clear? <laughs> Hardly, hey. The, the Bible is, is, uh, is a challenging document to work with. Spurgeon said this, visit many good books but live in the Bible. The more you read the Bible, the more you meditate on it, the more you'll be astonished with it. And so if you say, John, if what you're saying is this is a complex document, you'll probably never fully understand it, I should just quit now, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Here's why you should go after it with all your heart. Engaging with the Bible is an opportunity to discover more of the heart of God. We've just been singing, I want more of you, God. Well, what are you doing about it? He's given you a love letter. Are you devouring more of his word? Engaging with the Bible is an opportunity to discover more of the heart of God. If you fall asleep for the rest of this message, that's okay. You've got it in a nutshell right there. Please don't snore. You'll put off the person beside you, but we'll wake you up in 20 minutes when we're done, okay? That's the message in a nutshell right there. Engaging with the Bible is an opportunity for me to discover more of the heart of God. With the time we have left for those planning on staying awake, let's narrow our discussion down from where we've been and talk about a more, a more distinguishable question. It's this, how do we work out where the Old Testament fits in? 
when we read our scriptures, we've got this Old Testament and New Testament. And so our question is, how do we know what parts of the Old Testament still apply? Because old generally means like outdated, doesn't it? Irrelevant, uh, not important anymore. And new means new. We pay attention to the new, not the old. Well, it's not quite as simple as that. Which part of the Bible was for back then limited to a time and place and is expired in terms of its influence over us now? And which part is still demanding of our attention now, even though it was in the Old Testament? See, the common belief is the God of the Old Testament, wow, you don't want to run into him in a dark alley. He's a scary character. He's fierce, he's harsh, he's a severe judge, he's ready to strike you dead at any moment. The God of the New Testament, well, he's a bit more like Santa Claus. I Many he just gives out gifts to anyone and everyone. He's wonderful. But read your Bible more carefully and you'll see the God of the Old Testament is also gracious. And the God of the New Testament is also holy. Just ask Ananias and Sapphira, New Testament characters, if God is holy. They told a fib and got slain on the spot for it. Just ask David, an Old Testament character, if God is gracious. He committed murder and adultery and got pardoned for it. This is the one God and we need to work hard at, at working out which actually applies still today. Not just say, that's old, therefore that's outdated. That's not how this works. In a moment we're going to get to Matthew chapter 5. But I want to start with Galatians 3. It's a New Testament book that celebrates Christian liberty. The Apostle Paul started a church in Galatia and he had new believers in Christ. And shortly after his departure, these false teachers come in. Paul's message was Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? And then these false teachers come in and said, no, no, no it's not like that at all. It's not like that. You still need to pay attention to these 613 Old Testament rules and regulations. We need to still observe them. We can't just leave them behind. And so they were, they were getting confused and the message of Jesus was getting distorted as they began to think, well, maybe we do need to go back and pay attention to all of those things in order to get God's favour. You're going to see Paul's frustration in this reading, maybe even anger. Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had had a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by human effort? Have you discovered so much for nothing? Surely it was not all in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham are then are those who put their faith in God. Jumping down to verse 24, it says this, The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through 
faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you all children of God through faith in Christ and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Seemingly here, there's a distancing for them, the Jesus follower and the old way, the Jewish law. But are you ready for the plot to thicken when we get to Matthew chapter 5, the first book of the New Testament? We're not reading Old Testament here. This is the words of Jesus. Look at what he says. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Here's some warnings. Ready? If you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Anyone confused yet? We need a long prayer. Holy Spirit, help us understand. Amen. Galatians gives us the impression you're not under the law. You can forget about all of those 613 rules. That's what we just read about. There's 613 commandments back there, not just 10. We often talk about the big 10, but there's actually 613. And some of those commands in the modern church, we just plug and play. There's commands about sexuality and we go, yeah, they still apply. They're fine. We carry on those. And then there's other ones like execute Sabbath breakers who happen to do any work on the Sabbath day. Or even more importantly, don't eat any pork because we go, oh, that can't apply. We need bacon. And so we pick and choose the ones that we like and that we feel are compatible with. How can we bring integrity in this process about what we pick and choose rather than just go, oh, I don't like that one. That's a bit weird. I'll leave that back there. That one's okay. That can come through. What's our filter? How do we decide this? The New Testament takes diverse approaches. There's a reason that this is a little confusing on the surface because in the New Testament, some things get reinterpreted, some things get requoted, and some things get replaced altogether. Some laws get reinterpreted. In fact, Matthew 5, which you just read from, is full of this. Jesus says all the way through that passage, you have heard, but I say. So this is reinterpreting. So adultery is, is an, an example there where Jesus says, you've heard, it's wrong to sleep with another man's wife. But it's not only who you bring into the bedroom, it's who you bring into your mind that matters. So Jesus says, you have heard, but I say. So that's a reinterpretation. Some get requoted word for word. An example of this is in Ephesians 6 where it says, children obey your parents, honour your parents. And all the parents in the room said, hallelujah, that should stay. Well, it has. It's just reworded. It's without any, without any, um, sorry, requoted without any adjustment whatsoever. In Ephesians chapter six, honor your father and mother, and life will go well for you. It says, requoted without any adjustment whatsoever. So some reinterpreted, some requoted, some replaced. 
Now, the Sabbath principle would be one of these. In the Old Testament, if you picked up sticks to build a fire on the Sabbath day, the community would gather around and begin throwing stones and kill you because it was that big a deal. But the New Testament informs us that the true Sabbath is Jesus. Here's where we find our rest and peace. And so there's nowhere in the New Testament that we're told to keep the Sabbath day holy, actually. Not in that language anyway. So that's upstaged and replaced. So we've discovered that the Old Testament is sometimes treated in different ways by the New Testament. But isn't it a job and a half to work out which is which? It sure is. It sure is. And we need the Holy Spirit to work out what is reinterpreted, what is requoted, what has been replaced here. Someone at this point in the sermon is going to go, John, my head hurts. And, you know, I'm a simple person. I mean, good that you understand these things, but, but I'm not sure that I really need to understand them. Well, this will help you talk to your next door neighbour. Using scripture well helps us in our mission. If we don't understand these things, ultimately we'll be made a mockery of. And let me explain that to you. The Bible says in Leviticus 19, Old Testament, if you trim the edges of your beard, you're being disobedient to God, right? Now, this week, this week, I trimmed the edges of my beard. Was I being disobedient to God? What do you do with that? I've got something more bizarre for you. Some of you need to block your ears if you're sensitive. No one, you ready? I'm trying to prepare you. No one who has crushed testicles may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, dear me, that's funny until you're that person. And people are like, well, we missed you at church on the weekend. Well, I can't really go into the details. <laughs> we laugh, but if we don't understand what to do with these things, we look like the fool in the conversation because guess what? Our unchurched friends know about these things and they bring them up. They'll be quick. The skeptic will be quick to go, oh, what about this? What about that? And if you don't have a framework, then we look really, really silly. If you're new to church, you've probably seen this happen. People making it up on the run. <laughs> so the Old Testament law falls into three categories. Civil law, ceremonial law, moral law. Again, I urge you to stay with me. We're working. Remember, we're working our minds. Stay with me. Don't go to sleep. Civil laws were about Israel. It was about the nation. It was about the government. It was about the people getting along together. It was about horizontal relationships. It was about, it was about like if your bull killed my bull, then this is how we should work that out. These are, these are kind of instructions that God laid out for the nation of Israel. We call these civil laws. Ceremonial laws is where God called something holy or unholy. This was the vertical relationship. Civil laws, horizontal, person to person. Ceremonial laws, us and God. It was how the priests were to conduct themselves. It was the sacrifices and the festivals and all that were involved 
there. They were ceremonial laws. <clears throat> and then the moral laws, in which God declared what was right and wrong, period. These are timeless in nature because these are a reflection of the heart of God. And these we cannot be dismissive of. And these help interpret the differences between the laws. So does that resolve our conflict between Matthew 5 and Galatians 3, where we've got Paul saying, don't worry about any of it, essentially, or that's how it sounds. And then we've got Jesus saying, don't dare dismiss any of it. How do we resolve that tension? I think that tension is still there. Jesus said, don't dare miss even the smallest detail of God's law. And if you ignore others and teach others to do, ignore them and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. So what did Jesus do with all this? Moral law, ceremonial law, civil law. How does Jesus fulfill these? And how do we get our filter clear so we're not just picking bacon because we like bacon or we're still trimming our beards but then there's other ones there that we go oh no no, no we we don't want that or we do want that how, how do we how do we work this through well what did Jesus do with the civil law because Jesus came through Israel he was the fulfillment of the civil law he was the king that rose up out of israel and became the king and kings and lord of lords over all nations over every tribe over every person and therefore no matter where we are today he is the fulfillment of that law for us we as the people of god come under him and we worship him from every tribe and tongue and nation and jesus fulfilled the civil law becoming law lord of the globe so we don't need to pay attention to those anymore the ceremonial laws which illustrate god's desire for holiness again what did jesus do here well the bible tells us he was a once for all sacrifice we don't need to keep on sacrificing animals jesus was the once and for all acceptable sacrifice to god for our sins and we put his faith in him when he said it is finished it meant something it was finished and because of him, we are delivered from the ceremonial laws. We are not under them anymore. What about the moral laws? Well, here's where it's different. Jesus fulfilled them too, of course, but because these eternally represent the heart of God, they go on. What's the example of a moral law? Don't steal or don't kill. These aren't restricted to Israel or a particular time and place. These reveal God's character. Jesus fulfilled them, but when I follow Jesus, I fulfill them too. Not as a basis of my faith, because of my faith, because of my faith in Jesus, I fulfill the moral law of God. Hang on, John, I'm confused. So am I under the law or not? Well, here's the irony. As our hearts get entwined with God's heart, we began fulfilling it without even noticing it. we are. Let me demonstrate how this works. This heavy coat, which I clearly brought up from Victoria, <laughs> it's never been used in my time in Queensland until this, this evening. And I'm thankful I've got a use for it. It's validated its existence. So, 
if I were in Victoria right now, I'd be feeling wonderful. And I used to wear this to church, actually, at this time of the year down there. And um, <laughs> they used to make fun of me and say, Johnny, you look like a monk. <laughs> so, yeah, beginning to feel like it. So this Old Testament law, when we become aware of God and we first come into contact with God and we want to make our life better, we, 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 we begin to try and build up our own performance before God. We go, I'll try and keep all of these commandments, but it's hard and it's heavy and it's hot under here, let me tell you. And we find that this is futile, futile exercise. We cannot possibly do it. It's too hard for us and we get burdened down by it and finally we crumble over time under the weight of all of these commandments. We realise we can't do it. And that's the point. Remember what we read in Galatians? It's our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It's our educator. It's supposed to let me know this ain't a good idea to wear this thing in this climate. That's the whole purpose of the Old Testament law. All of those things were a schoolmaster. It was a setup. It was a total setup. God knew they couldn't do it. God knew we couldn't do it. It was a setup. So that over time when this thing starts weighing you down, you go, maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's another way because this is really feeling not cool. And there is a better way. And one day, one day, one day, I become aware of this man who hung on a tree. And I lay this burden down. And I bring my life before him in surrender. And as I do, remember what our scripture said, we put on Christ. As we come and kneel at this cross, we discover Christ. It's like, ha. Hey. This looks better. This might work for me. Let me try this one. Ah, I can work with that. That fits just fine. It feels right. feels like I was made for this. Who would have known? I put on Christ and I walk with him. And all of a sudden, life doesn't feel easy. Don't hear that message from me. Following Jesus ain't easy, but it's right. There's a peace. There's a joy. There's a contentment. There's a sense that I'm in the right path. I've been created for this relationship. Over time, over time as we walk with Christ, guess what we discover? Woo! What's going on in there? I'm fulfilling the moral law of God. I'm carrying this around. I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. Why didn't I recognise it? Because it's written on my heart. It's no longer a burden. It's no longer a drudgery thing. It's no longer a duty. God has got in here when I come to that cross of Jesus. And it's a light thing now. And there's a spring in my step. And I fulfil the moral law of God. And it's written on my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
as the music team come, would you stand for prayer with me? If you didn't know the Bible was an opportunity for relationship, let this be news. It opens the best relationship in all the world. This book leads love, the love of God for humanity. And you'll often hear me say the 1,200 pages can be boiled down to one sentence. God wants his family back. And he's inviting us all in. He's saying, come, come home, come home. It includes you, includes me. And the pinnacle of scripture, this mother of all parties at the end of time where we get to celebrate with the rest of the family. Don't miss that. Whatever you do in life, don't miss that. Father, we thank you for this incredible opportunity we have of growing in our relationship with you through going deeper in your word. Forgive us, Lord, when we have been half-hearted about that, when we have not worked for it, when we have not applied ourselves. Jesus, we just want to know you. We want to love you. We want to go deeper in following you. And we pray, and I pray tonight, and over all of those listening online, that you would write the law of God on our hearts, that by your spirit you would give us the desire to be followers and to be in step with you and to fulfill the law of God because it's a law of love. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And it's in your love that we respond tonight and say, Lord, have your way in us and continue to grow us as we press into you. In your name, Lord.